Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, January 11, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we will preview some of the weekend's top games in this episode. Among them, Duke, Florida State, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. But first, Marcus Howard. Been a great week for incredible individual performances. On Tuesday night, Zion Williamson became the only Division I player in the past 20 years to post a line with 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, and 4 steals while shooting at least 80% from the field. Historically great performance. So we led Wednesday morning's podcast with that. Then on Wednesday night, Marcus Howard, 53 points and a win at Creighton. Wild game on CBS Sports Network. Creighton just gave it away. The Blue Jays were up three with the ball with less than a second to play. It's basically impossible to lose in that situation. But Creighton threw the ball out of bounds for reasons I'll never understand. Then Sam Hauser at the buzzer to force overtime. Then Marcus Howard got going or kept going. Uh, Marquette wins at 106-104, improves to 13-3. and Marcus Howard finishes 15-26 from the field, 10-14 from three, 53 points. And when you combine that 53-point performance – with his 52-point performance from last season, Marcus Howard on Wednesday night became the first Division One player to score 50 in multiple games in the past 20 seasons. So Zion was historic on Tuesday, then Marcus was historic on Wednesday. Norlander, please express your love and appreciation for Marquette's Marcus Howard and what he did in Omaha somewhere in Middle America. That's right. Somewhere out there in Middle America. Um this is not Marcus Howard and our affinity for him is is nothing new to the pod of course going back to the the Rousey Andrew Rousey days we were given we were given love to uh, the Marquette backcourt Rousey has now moved on of course and Howard continues to play so well and just for perspective I think we brought up on the previous podcast that Zion Williamson is the front runner for player of the year I, I, that's still the case and I mentioned his player efficiency rating was 43.1 well Marcus Howard's been awesome this year his PER is 28, so just give you a little bit of insight, and that's for someone who is a terrific three-point shooter, distributing well, getting some rebounds. Right now, Howard is averaging 25.8 points, 4.3 assists, 3.8 rebounds, um, and doing not doing it all for Marquette. I mean, he's their star. They've got some other good players, and by the way, the Hauser three-pointer should not have counted. It was, I think, uh, Paris, I can't remember this now in real time. Maybe you do from being in the studio, but... I think they counted it in real time, and they concluded that the visual evidence was not conclusive enough to overturn the call, but I thought on video and then particularly after the fact, which the officials don't have uh, access to, uh, some snapshots by photographers on hand there showed that the ball had not left his hand as time expires. So Creighton should have gotten that win. Marquette instead gets the victory there. It's, it's a big-time win for them, get a nice little road win. And Howard right now is easily top five. I would say top three player of the year race overall I would clearly put him in that position but of course it helps when you're on a on a top 25 team that's able to get wins like that that was a a significant one I don't think you can overstate that because Creighton had no business losing it Marquette pulls it out and shockingly the most points ever in a Big East by a Big East player period not even in a Big East game no big no player in the history of the conference had scored 53 or more Marcus Howard now old holds the record uh, John Rostein and I were talking about this in studio the, the other night. So you start trying to put together a first-team All-America team right now, it gets really difficult because you've got to go the two at Duke, I think, Zion and uh, Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Uh, looks like Marcus Howard probably has to be on there somewhere. Like you said, he's averaging 25.8 points, 4.3 assists, 3.8 rebounds for a nationally ranked team, shooting 45% from three-point range. Um, 
Diedrich Lawson has probably got to be on there. He's you know averaging in insane numbers for um, obviously a nationally relevant top ten team. And the, you know Grant Grant Williams is averaging you know, better points, rebounds, shooting percentages up, everything better than he was last season. And he was the SEC Player of the Year last season. Shamori Pons at St. John's. There's a lot of good candidates. We're gonna have a I, this stuff sometimes takes care of, uh, takes care of itself, but we're probably gonna have a, a difficult time trying to carve out the five first team uh, All Americans because there's a lot of guys that seem on a surface level very worthy of that right now. Yeah, and this happens frequently year over year. As the season ends, Parrish, we kind of huddle together, look at what the teams will be in the top 25, look at the standout players. As we build our top 101 players list, or as we get closer to that, you think, okay, like who are going to be the guys here? Like, you know, who's really popping right now? And you'll usually have a handful, but you, what you're getting at is – there really are like, 10 to 12 strong candidates at this point, I and mean, you can never see it in October. You just can't. And now you see it now. You mentioned all those guys. They're, they're absolutely worthy, and there's another handful, including one. I'll save his name for because we're going to talk about him real quick in a minute that I would absolutely stand for. First team All-America right now with his stat line, how good he is, and his team is actually playing pretty well overall. But you'll get some separation. I wouldn't put Pons there just yet. Now, he's been good, but Howard has overtaken him within his own league. It's still a close race. I mean, who knows? Who knows who's going to give there? St. John's has a healthy record as well. But um, <laughs> the other the other outcome with this in Marquette getting, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, the consequence of it, Marquette getting to 2-1, and one, Creighton dropping to 1-2. and two. If it had gone the other way and it had been Creighton 2-1, and one, Marquette 1-2, and two, then your pick to win the Big East really would have been in, in tr- some trouble here. But and I know you switched it officially on television and had it won on the site one way or the other. Villanova still hasn't lost a game in the league. But at least you got a chance still from the website perspective, Marquette, to uh, to match there. Because only three teams have one less or fewer right now in the Big East. Nova undefeated. And then Seton Hall and Marquette both have one loss. Everyone else in the league, yes, through three tops, four conference games, everyone else has two losses. Not sure if that's going to be a good thing or, or a bad thing for the Big East, say, three, four weeks from now. Just so we're clear, I will switch it again if I have to. I'm oh, not above just switching my answers to any questions whenever I feel like it. Uh, Marcus Howard right now, fourth leading scorer in Division One men's basketball. Trivia time! Do you know who the leading scorer in the nation is right now? I know the top four, my man. Clemens, you- at, I, okay, Clemens at Campbell is one, and he went for 30-plus on Thursday night. Then you've got Antoine Davis, who is – Banging on the doorstep of being top five in the Frost Watch. Detroit Mercy, freshman, son of Mike Davis. He's number two. Then you've got Justin Wright Foreman at Hofstra. Also went for 30-plus on Thursday night. It was a good night for mid-major studs going off. So all three of those dudes uh, perform well. And then you've got Marcus Howard at four. Do I have that correct? Yeah, how did that, that's pretty impressive. I didn't think you'd be able to get that. I figured you'd be able to get Chris Clemens because I know how much you love Chris Clemens. He's a Campbell fighting camel. I didn't know if you'd be able to get the uh, the other ones, though. So, hey, good, good on you. The Campbell fighting camels. Do you know there is a such thing as fighting camels? Are there docile camels? Well, they have uh, they have camel. Fi- I mean, like, they, you can fight camels. There's camel fighting. You know that? Stop. There's camel fighting in Turkey. Uh, what? What they do, I researched it because I saw uh, Campbell fighting camels, and I was I just started one. I went, I, said, I know we can fight. Um, uh, you know, they, they, obviously Michael Vick fought dogs, so that goes on somewhere. Um, I was just curious, like, do are, are, do camels actually fight? And the, the the answer is yes. In Turkey, what they do, they bring a female camel uh, in heat nearby, 
and then the male camels, like, they get all worked up and they want to fight. They go for each other's necks, and a camel is declared a winner if the other camel either falls to the ground or flees the fight. The fights usually take place on Sundays, uh, anywhere from November to March, which is also mating season. That's why they usually take uh, place uh, from November to March, and the fights usually last about 10 minutes each. And if you got a camel who can really, really uh, whoop, whoop, whoop other camels, he'd go for about 20 grand. I I do not condone this whatsoever, but apparently this is the NFL of Turkey. This is the big Sunday event for about five months out of the year. It's kind of they, bizarre. They hold the camel fights in in a foot in football stadiums. I I, I don't believe you. I do. You think I just made all that up? I think I, I, I think it's possible. If you want to, if you want to know how I spent my Friday morning. It is A, hanging out with my five-year-old, and B, researching camel fighting in Turkey. I, I, I guess the podcast is better for it. I, I had no idea we were going there. Um, and I, I, you have left me nonplussed. The camel fighting camels, um, that, that mascot is representative of, of a real thing. And that's a fighting camel um, See, in a camel fighting environment. On a Sunday between November and March in Turkey. I thought they had made it the Campbell fighting camels because saying Campbell camels, Campbell camels, Campbell camels <laughs> would be just it's, – it's, it's a mouthful, right? It's a tongue twister, and you got to put something to, to break it up. So the Campbell fighting camels. That's easier than – say, say, say Campbell camels five, five times in a row. Can you say it? Campbell camels, Campbell camels, Campbell camels? Can you do it? I think I probably can. Campbell camels, Campbell camels, Campbell camels, Campbell camels, Campbell camels. I did it. Campbell no Camels. All right, there we go. A professional speaker, Norlander. You don't think I can get Campbell Camels out? What kind of career would I have if I couldn't get out Campbell Camels? That's right. You know? Anyway. You, do you think we could take the Campbell Fighting Camel mascot, put it in, fly it to Turkey? You think it could go two and one on a Sunday between November and March? First of all, they don't have a live mascot, so no. Do they even? No, I mean the dude they put. Or 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 the, the the woman they put in the mascot like let's just let's just go give it a shot. <laughs> it's got no shot. Human beings have no. Plus, sh- it'd be a road game. You know, maybe if you could get them at Campbell, that'd be one thing. But you got to travel to Turkey. It's beyond that's not a, a road new, game. It's not a sports situation. It's a true road game. Yeah, human beings against most wild animals don't stand a chance. Period. If if there is an actual engagement uh, in fighting. Uh, we we just if you know if anything is even approaching our body weight or size we're done. Just a t- I'll, I'll I'll fight a guinea pig right now. Well, yeah, of course you'll fight a guinea pig. That's, 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 I, I, that's fight, I fight two guinea what pigs. Right the, what is the where does the scale tip for Gary Parish and the animal he could fight and and win and the animal he would fight and lose? What what kind? I what is that like? For example. Like Doberman Pinscher, you're gonna lose. And I'm not I, fighting Pinscher. That seems crazy. Right. So it's 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 not. But that's I, that's. I'll fight a I'll fight I'll fight a Maltese. You'll fight a Maltese. Yeah. No. I don't. I, I mean, I would if I had to. Like it was life or death situation. I, I mean, I ain't out there looking in the street. That's for, not even for, remotely for close. I'm trying to think of uh, of something that's in that realm. Like okay. Like you're gonna beat a you're gonna beat a sheep, but it's not it's not an aggressive. Animal. I don't know if I could beat a sheep. Yeah. Sheeps are kind of big. What, how would I even? How would I beat a sheep? Could you handle an an aggressive goose? Yeah, I feel like I could. I feel like I could. Maybe. I could mess, maybe. I could mess up. I think. 
I'm curious to know where that line is, though, because there is a line. There, there, there's one animal that you would be able to take down, and then there's another that you would stand no chance at, and it's just, just determining where that is. I smoke, I'll smoke a guinea pig. That's what I know for sure. Yeah, you don't need to be going after, after little, little guys like that, little guys Any- and little animals. Anyway, shouts to Chris Clemens, Campbell. Shouts to the Campbell Fighting Camels, and uh, shame on you and Turkey for actually fighting camels. That sounds like a bad thing to do. So Marcus Howard was the star on Wednesday night. Thursday night it was John Morant, 26 points, 18 assists, and a win over UT Martin, and he murdered a Skyhawk. I know John. I know one thing: John Morant could fight a Skyhawk because he murdered a Skyhawk Thursday night. <laughs> I'm, I might take John Morant against a camel right now. He is who I would have as a first-team All-America right now. I would easily – remember, we talked four or five episodes ago about our our turn of the calendar to January player of the year race, and I had Morant number two at that point. I've I've got him, Marcus Howard, Zion Williamson all in my top three right now. Tremendous. He's not just boosting his draft stock in a significant way, but 23.5 points, 10.5 assists which is outstanding. And by the way, Russell Westbrook had 24 assists in an NBA game on Thursday night. That's insane. Can you imagine a college player getting to 20? I mean, it's happened. Trey Young had 22 last season, but it's it was just the weirdest stat line I've ever seen. Uh, Morant, 23.5, 10.5 assists, 6.6 boards. His steals are up. His PER is at 32.1, two steals uh, a game. And Murray State's really good, by the way quality team what he did I don't I don't know who he did it on in fact I don't even think if you know the name let's not even bring it up that poor dude has got to live with that for the rest of his life he got Vince Carter he got Frederick Weist okay it was an amazing highlight it was the highlight of the season GP in college it was, basketball it was, vi- it was violent it was violent it was lively it was full of verve full of arrogance full of confidence I loved it John Morant is a stud Murray State is 12-2. and two. I assume most people that are listening to this podcast have seen this dunk, but if you haven't, I mean, he nutmegged the dude. He jumped right over him, right over his face, shorts over the face, slam. Ooh. It was awesome. And I'm glad that it's gotten as much run that it did because, frankly, it's a Murray State-Tennessee Martin game on a Thursday night. That's not going to offer up much attention, but it was so good. To me, GP, it's, just, it's the best highlight in college basketball this season. I don't know if we'll get a better one. Maybe Zion Williamson, R.J. Baird will be capable of giving us something that can compete, but that was uh, that was just nasty. So we had to address that on this podcast. I know it's tough sometimes when you're talking about a visual highlight on an audio platform, but if you have not seen it, I, please search out John Morant dunk against Tennessee Martin. That thing was stones. So there is a lot of interesting games this weekend. We're going to dive in momentarily, but first... Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. You know it's not smart job boards that send you candidates that aren't qualified for the role you posted, job boards that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through, job boards that make you wait for the right people to apply for your job, job boards that just assume qualified candidates will see and apply to your job post. Also not smart, uh, taking Alabama on a second-half line in the national title game. But what is smart is going to ZipRecruiter slash uh, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter right now is rated number one by employers in the U.S. It's a rating that comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with more than 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. That's E. 
Y-E-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ion. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So like I said, lots of interesting games this weekend. Let's just dive right in. I want to focus on ranked teams that are on the road against unranked teams. Because on Tuesday night, we had three ranked teams lose road games to unranked teams. And then Wednesday night, it happened uh, three more times. And this weekend, we have number three, Tennessee, at unranked Florida. Number four, Virginia, at unranked Clemson. Number six, Michigan State, at unranked Penn State. Number seven, Kansas, at unranked Baylor. Number eight, Texas Tech, at unranked Texas. Number 10, Nevada, at unranked Fresno State. Number 16, Ohio State, at unranked Iowa. Number 22, Indiana, at unranked Maryland. Now, obviously, from a point spread perspective, Indiana is the most likely ranked team to lose on the road to an unranked team this weekend. The Hoosiers are five-point underdogs, but I don't want to spend too much time on that game because it's a Friday night game, and some folks might not be getting uh, to this podcast till Saturday morning. So, Norlander, let's just focus on Saturday and Sunday. You tell me which ranked team that plays Saturday or Sunday is most at risk of losing on the road to an unranked team. Is it Tennessee, Virginia, Michigan State, Kansas, Texas Tech, Nevada, or Ohio State? Uh, Indiana fans are going to be so happy with you that you just want to bypass their game. Um, I would say... Ah, oh, Parrish. Um, they're going to... It's going to be like last weekend. We're going to have... It's going to be an inevitability. The most likely one, I think it's Tennessee at Florida. Florida's rating well as defensively. You can't just walk into the O-Dome. Parrish erroneously has previously claimed that you can't just walk into the O-Dome, uh, but you can. You can, and, t- and teams people, have. People do it all the time now, people, actually. Yeah, it is, it is a fairly frequent occurrence. Um, I'll, no, South Carolina just did it. South Carolina just did it. South Carolina still hasn't lost an SEC game, by the way. Um, I'll take Florida as the most likely of the teams that you mentioned. Gators still rate well across a number of metrics. Could really use this kind of win to to really boost their their standing overall. Though um, have, don't have uh, don't have a quad one win yet. Undefeated in quad two games. This is obviously a quad one opportunity at home against Tennessee. So yeah, I'll take the Gators. Uh, that's a reasonable place to start. Uh, Tennessee um, is actually projected by Kempom to win the game, but only 67-66. We're, so we're talking about a total coin flip situation there. Uh, the There's two other ones that are basically one-point spreads, according to Kempom. It's uh, Texas Tech 61, Texas 60. That's a projected score. So Texas Tech and coin flip situation down in Austin. And then Iowa is actually projected, unranked Iowa, projected to beat Ohio State at Kempom 74-73. So Ohio State, yeah. uh, at least according to Kempom, would be the most likely ranked team to lose on Saturday or Sunday to an unranked team. That's an Iowa team that's 9-1 and one at home this season. Um, but Tyler Cook did not play uh, their midweek game. I believe it was at Northwestern. Uh, they won. They did. Um, and I saw some like there were some Iowa fans because I just did a Twitter search on Tyler Cook to, to see what the update was with him. And there's like, uh, I guess, a, a debate going back and forth about whether Iowa is better uh, without Tyler Cook. He averages 17.3 points and 8.3 rebounds per game. So I would say uh, no, probably not. But either way, Iowa did win without him. Uh, I'll take uh, Iowa at home over Ohio State. It's an Ohio State team that 
remember, wasn't supposed to be great. I think they were picked eighth in the Big Ten. Got off to a tremendous start, but right now on a two-game losing streak, and they just lost at Rutgers. If you can lose at Rutgers, you can lose at Iowa. Yeah, that was my close second place. Um, Going, dropping three straight is not out of the question here. It's a tough stretch for Ohio State. I mean, the Big Ten's relatively deep overall. Um, We'll follow this up with with a home game against Maryland, home against Purdue, at Nebraska, at Michigan. So Ohio State... You know, let's uh, let's let's see where they stand at the end of January because this is this is like so many other teams. Frankly, it's a it's an interesting stretch for them. But sometimes sometimes Iowa is is, is the hardest team to read in the entire Big Ten. Um, and, and this isn't just this season. I I would I would stretch this across the past three or four overall. I think it's a quality team. I I believe strongly <laughs> that it is better with Tyler Cook than without. Right. Um, uh, Tyler Cook was the player that we did not have on our preseason top 101 list that I would that I was most uh, regretful that he was not included. Um, so I I you know I think that's silliness to say that he is that he is not uh, pivotal to their to their long term success though. But yeah, I was going to have a shot there. It's a pretty solid Saturday overall, by the way. I mean, I know we've got the NFL uh, playoffs continuing and all that, but last last weekend was good. I think this weekend's going to be even better with all the games that you mentioned. Um, Texas Tech at Texas. I even think that's a tricky one. Texas Texas is almost as tough to read as Iowa in my, in my opinion, yeah. frankly. Um, and I, I mean, Texas right now is just seven and three at home. Um, they 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 rate well in the computers, but they've already lost three times at home, including home losses to Radford, VCU, and Providence. Yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. Pro- the Providence one was random. Um, that was right before Christmas. I remember that. Um, and I think, hold on, I'm almost positive that Kansas is next. Let me bring up their schedule. Yeah, yeah. So critical. I mean, again, the Big Twelve. You just don't get any reprieve. They got uh-huh. Texas Tech, and then they're at Kansas. So if you're Texas. Splitting this, you know, just really boosters your confidence and your and your overall standing there. Um, so keep an eye on that. GP, one game you didn't mention that I just want to bring up, and it's uh, it's it's part of our. We're now doing our um, as a staff every Friday. We're gonna have picks up on on the site cbsports.com of of four or five select games every weekend, uh, including the spreads and all that. And one of the games included, rightfully so, is uh, is Gonzaga at San Francisco. This is the only game right now that I think Gonzaga within the league um, might be threatened to be taken down. Uh, San Francisco rates right there with St. Mary's. I think San Francisco is better than St. Mary's. Um, and the WCC is better. I mean, BYU is as good as I thought it would be, but San Diego is up and et cetera, et cetera. But San Francisco has three wins against Gonzaga at home since 2010. Just keep an eye on that one. It's a late tip, 10 o'clock. Um, I'm get the the line isn't out yet. I am I'm actually guessing that's going to be Gonzaga by eight and a half. Uh, Ken Palm's got it at seven. I think the line will be bigger than that, and I would expect Gonzaga to cover. But just just keep an eye because if Gonzaga wins that one easily, it's not like they can't lose one the rest of the way. Parish, but I think they could be on their way to to rolling through the league yet again and setting themselves up for a nice one seed potential overall. So that one isn't a top five game to watch. But for me, I'm intrigued by that because I also want to see how San Francisco handles itself. Yeah, uh, that's just an oversight by me to not have it in the uh, list of, of games that I had ranked teams on the road against unranked teams. I don't know why I missed it, but uh, obviously – uh, I don't know about obviously, but possibly this is going to be Gonzaga's biggest road test of the rest of the season. Is that fair? Yes, I think so. Um, I think it's uh, 
I, I, I like San Francisco for what def- it can do defensively, mostly Parrish. Um, and Gonzaga has its best offense, tracking toward the best offense it's ever had, and it's never finished number one in uh, offensive efficiency at Ken Palm. So just an interesting one to watch. I think Nevada's game at Fresno State is... Similar in that Fresno State might be in the same standing within its league as as San Francisco, and we saw Nevada drop one at New Mexico, and really Fresno State and Utah State are the ones to keep an eye on. So Nevada, another one. The, the, the notable teams out west face potentially slippery road tests this weekend. It's just something to keep an eye on on Saturday. Yeah, one last thing on Gonzaga, because we talked about it all uh, November and December, Killian Tilly uh, being out. Um, he is back now. He's played two games. Uh, they're just easing him into the rotation. He's only getting 14 minutes per game uh, right now. He's averaging 4.5 points, 3.5 rebounds. Uh, but Gonzaga finally is uh, at full strength, or at least Gonzaga has all, all of its relevant players uh, available. And so, um, you know, the, the, Gonzaga, once league play starts, they, they start operating a little bit off of the national radar because of their league affiliation. So just to make sure people know, uh, Killian Tilly, last year's, uh, ret- uh, this season's leading returning score for the Zags. He is healthy and, uh, and back in the rotation now. We're going to get into Duke, Florida State next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So the only game this weekend between two top 15 teams is number one Duke at number 13 Florida State. Tip is 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Duke is 13-1, lone loss to Gonzaga in Maui. Florida State's 13-2. Got wins over Purdue, Florida, LSU, and Miami. Losses to Villanova and Virginia. Uh, Obviously good, but the Seminoles haven't beaten a great team yet. Zero wins over any teams that are currently ranked in the AP poll. You give them uh, a real shot against Duke in this one? Do give them a shot. And Right now, they do have two quad one uh, wins. And their only losses have come in in quad one overall. Uh, But when you look at the resume on the whole, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. They've played a lot of bad teams as well. They do. They do have a chance. Um, they've and they've beaten Duke. So Duke is ranked number one in the country. Florida State has two wins in its history over Duke when the Blue Devils were number one. It's won four times against Duke since 2012. Um, I think Tallahassee is, is is a small bugaboo uh, for for Mike Krzyzewski's program overall. I, it's got a chance. The thing is, Florida State looked bad. At Virginia, not 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 like everybody looks bad at Virginia. I know, but only teams have even cracked a sixty-point barrier against Virginia this season. Do I know how many teams are you asking me? No, it's it's two. It's only two. Oh, only two. Um, (laughs) that's ridiculous. Uh, Virginia, yeah, Virginia on the whole is is. Listen, I think it's the most impressive team in college basketball right now with what it's done from from the start until now. I get what you're saying. I. 
I, I still I watched the majority of that game in Florida State. Like it could, you say, teams couldn't get to sixty. That's fine. If Virginia didn't want to let Florida State get to forty, it wouldn't have. And then Florida State won at home against Miami earlier this week. It was a it was an okay win. It was not a you know an overly impressive bounce back win. Now you get Duke home floor. How are you going to look against another elite team? If we're talking on Sunday night about Duke winning by seventeen at Florida State's joint then you know what, maybe just pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, my, my streak was, is bound to continue. I mean, I'm telling you, I've, I've, I've incorrectly predicted Florida State outcomes 12 of the past 13 times. So I'm going to take Duke to win. I, I don't know what the line is. I don't even know what the Kempom projection is. I'm guessing it's, I don't know, I would guess six points, something like that. I guess the line will be six and a half, something along those lines. I would take Duke to cover and Duke to win in this game. The projected score at Kempom is Duke 81, Florida State 74. So that's a seven-point uh, difference. And I would imagine the line will be a, a point better than that, maybe a point and a half just because of public perception or whatever other reason. But uh, I, I, I would assume when we go to bed Friday night, wake up Saturday morning, Duke's going to post as about a – eight eight and a half uh, point favorite on the road and i might actually take the points there i mean duke is the type of team a little bit like the golden state warriors in the sense that you see these numbers and they just look too big and you go okay like i i just can't lay that many points and then you know then then they're up 25 points and you're like why why would i bet against this team you know why why would like jesus christ they got three top five picks they they have the clearly have the ability to blow almost anybody completely off the court and i did i and i didn't think they were going to do that here like it, it's all like they they make you feel dumb no matter what you do i know um i want to see what cam reddish does in this game by the way uh he's you know he has not he has been outpaced significantly by Zion and by RJ and Trey has been a better player as well to this point in the season will this be the kind of game or you know Trent Forrest Terrence Mann David Nichols, will they give will they give him some more troubles, and will Cam Reddish uh, his inconsistencies kind of develop into a storyline here, and Duke overcoming it despite that? Because you know what, there's all if if that continues and Duke continues to look awesome, um, it's not it's not the worst thing because you got to figure maybe he'll eventually get it right and clicking. But in this particular game, I want to see how how Reddish does on top of the usual like let's just you know is RJ going to go for 24? Is is Zion going to have uh, flirt with a, a beastly double double kind of deal? Um. There's no doubt to me that Trey Jones is, if we were ranking in terms of importance at Duke, freshman, Trey Jones would be ahead of Cam Reddish. And, um, you know, I, I think it's clearly Zion RJ. Or maybe not, because one of the reasons they're so much better defensively than they've been in other years where they're relying so heavily on freshmen, I think it starts with, with Trey Jones' ability to, to, to pressure the ball. He's just really, really good. And I know the, the coaching staff, they, they've liked him from the jump but they love him. They do not think they would be anywhere close to the same team that they are right now if they did not have um, him. I, I think he's more valuable to what Duke's doing than Cam Reddish. And the Cam Reddish story is interesting because, remember, you know, after that opening night, we were talking about uh, a big three at Duke because they were all awesome then. He got 22 points in that 118-84 victory over Kentucky. He backed that up with a 25-point game against Army. And then you just look at his last six games. Five points, ten points, nine points, eight points, four points, ten points against Wake Forest the other night. And I think this is even more telling than that because points don't tell a story, but sometimes minutes play do. He hasn't played more than 20 minutes in any of the past three games. 
Um, so like he's he's literally off the court half the game. Um, I, I think that's telling. So he needs a little bit of a uh, of a breakthrough performance because right now he is not playing um, to his ability. The last game I want to touch on before we get out of here is is Ole Miss at Mississippi State. Uh, the tip is at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's on CBS. Pretty big game between. CBS, it's America's most watched network. It's America's most awarded network. It's a network of stars. Uh, Ole Miss is 12 and 2, number 26 in the CBS Sports Top 25 and 1. Mississippi State, 12 and 2, number 14 in the Top 25 and 1. And there's an incredible story developing in Oxford right now. Ole Miss was, um, well, they, 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 they went 12 and 20 last season. It was the last season for Andy Kennedy. They finished 108th at Kenpom. They were picked last. Dead last in the SEC preseason poll. They started 97th at Ken Palm, and right now they've moved all the way up to 34th at Ken Palm. It's one of the biggest jumps of any team in the entire nation. I think Buffalo has made a bigger jump from its preseason Ken Palm rating to its current Ken Palm rating, but you know, Ole Miss might actually be be second. It's a significant jump from 97 to 34. 12 and 2 wins over Auburn and Baylor. Lone losses at Butler and to Cincinnati on a neutral. And what's interesting is the top five, uh, top four scores on this team, they were all also on last season's team. So it's largely the same dudes, just different coach and, and you know, obviously different results. Shouts to Kermit Davis, huh? Yeah, he's done amazingly well to to start right now better than anyone could have expected and heck you know what this is this is part of why college basketball can be fun is that you will get teams like this in the i'm not saying Ole Miss will make the tournament but if it does i am saying Ole Miss will make the tournament all right good deal mark it down january 11th paris says Ole Miss is going to be in the NCAA (laughs) tournament it's not outlandish but if it gets there even if it doesn't there'll be a team uh, or two like Ole Miss where you just didn't see it coming they break through and they're in the field on selection sunday that's a lot of fun it's got a good opportunity there um Kermit was someone that I thought should have had uh, a power conference job two or three years before he even got this old Miss one. He's a really, really good fit at that school, and they're doing well. You said that's a CBS game. Worth watching as well. I understand our our podcast audiences, we love you guys because we know what? We get the diehards. Appreciate that. We get some casuals that just want to keep in here and there. And I understand that you might not know really anyone on either of these programs. Tune in. They're both quality teams. And if you want, I did want to mention, Paris, you mentioned that's on CBS. You can go dual screen because at 2 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, again, to the diehards listening, VCU at Davidson is a fairly important game for the A-10. Uh, whoever can come out on top there. Those might, those might be the two teams that wind up in the at-large discussion if the A-10 can get two wins. So just keep an eye on that. CBS Sports Network, that's a 2 o'clock tip on Saturday and a pretty important one. And what will be, by the way, as I said, a, a pretty busy day. We didn't even get to, you know, TCU at Oklahoma is a significant Big 12 game. Kansas at Baylor. Will Kansas slip up? Keep an eye on that as well. Seton Hall is at Marquette in the Big East. So there's a there's a ton going on and on top of the uh, the NFL playoffs. So if you have the means to be at home and, and don't have a, t- a ton to do with either chores, family, or whatever, uh, from noon until night, it's going to be a, a loaded Saturday. And that's even before we get to uh, all the hoops and football on Sunday. One note on Kermit Davis, you mentioned that um, you, you thought he should have gotten a big boy job like this um, earlier. You know, he's 59 years old right now. He's, he's, he's not uh, some rising star in the profession. But I think what sometimes people forget, and I agree with you, by the way, um, he, you know, he, 
it became obvious, at least in the past three or four years, that he should be a candidate for almost any SEC job. He's from Mississippi. He had been an assistant coach in the SEC before. But I don't know that people realize this. He didn't make the – because he was so good at Middle Tennessee toward the end, obviously got that massive win over Michigan State in – uh, the NCAA tournament. He was in his non-league schedule, consistently beating SEC schools. I think he beat Ole Miss each of the past two years. Uh, beat Auburn once, I know. Beat Vanderbilt at least once, I know. Um, he didn't make the NCAA tournament at Middle Tennessee until his 11th season mm-hmm. at Middle Tennessee. Like you know, he didn't win more than uh, 19 games at Middle Tennessee until his 11th season at Middle Tennessee. So. You know, he was always respectable, you know, second in his league, third in his league, third in his league, second in his league, like finished top five in the league each of the first um, 10 years that he was at Middle Tennessee. But the Kermit Davis who turned Middle Tennessee into somewhat of a of a men's basketball brand and obviously one of the great stories of of the NCAA tournament when they when they knocked off Michigan State, um, that that's not the same Kermit Davis that that. That's you know for the first ten years at Middle Tennessee, so that's why I think more than anything it took him a, a little longer than he probably hoped uh, to to get a SEC level job because I know it's always been a dream of his, um, but he's got one now and he's got it rocking and rolling. I don't know how much you saw of that Auburn game the other night, but mm-hmm. um, they they handled Auburn from start to finish and the you know on campus arena that opened just you know within the past couple of years you know, it sold out and looked great and so now Ole Miss has a real home court advantage you know i was talking to neil mccready who um covers Ole Miss and you know he said that since they built the built the pavilion which is a beautiful perfectly sized on campus basketball facility that you know there there would be people go but the arena's got such bells and whistles that it's just sort of the place to be. So people go because it's the place to be, not to watch basketball necessarily, but they're going now to watch basketball because they got a real basketball team. They do. And if this is what it's like in year one, you know, no guarantees year over year, but the reason why Andy Kennedy was considered such a strong coach in the history of that program was he did things that had not been done for the most part. I mean, he's, he's the winningest coach in the history of that program. So if, if Kermit can get this going and get it rolling in the right way, then look out. The future already looks bright, and they seem, GP, to be two seasons ahead of schedule. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please, if you haven't done it already, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You can do it via Apple Podcast. That's the best way to make sure you get the uh, the latest episodes in your phone as soon as possible. If you got a minute, rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you, or at least that's all I remember ever asking from you. So to those of you who have done it, thank you, thank you, thank you. It means a lot. If you haven't done it yet, uh, please, if you got a minute, go do it. And either way, we're going to talk to you again on Sunday. Till then.